This is Lost Connection, a podcast about the political, social, agricultural, and overall historical events that occurred in Punjab's past leading up to what it is today. I'm your host, Bagiru, and I will be taking you through the journey of Punjab, the land of the five rivers. Now let me set the scene for you. The clock is striking midnight, and your entire village is celebrating, cheering, and screaming of joy from the relieving feeling of freedom. After more than 300 years, the British have finally packed up their bags and announced to leave your beautiful homeland. But through all of the cheering and celebrating, you realize that there's actually screaming of pain and agony in the background. Screaming from the torturous killings, neighborhood massacres, horrific bloodshed and violence, along with the decapitated bodies and roads scattered with limbs and corpses. British officials in Lahore make their way to the railway station after picking their way through the streets littered with bodies while watching the railway staff hosing down each cart of blood as they board the Bombay Express and can see villages in Punjab on fire. You realize that as the British are leaving India, a sort of internal war has started with your village, your neighbors, and your community. As talks about a sort of partition are confirmed for your Muslim brothers and sisters, it has also confirmed with this independence that it is no longer safe until the partition map is released because you don't know what the right side is for your religion and people. You realize that your friends from yesterday may turn on you today and that this chaos isn't stopping until someone diffuses the confusion of where you and your family are supposed to go. All you know is that India will end up being Hindu majority with Sikhs and Pakistan will be Muslim majority and that your religion will suddenly become a defining factor of whether you live or die. Up until the 15th of August in 1947, the British had occupied India for about 300 years prior. But to truly understand the partition, we have to go all the way back to 1905 in Bengal and visit the short-lived Bengal partition. The British had divided Bengal because it was too hard for them to manage, with it being their largest province with 78.5 million people. And so there were no nationalistic reasons or disorderly reasons for the partition, but rather the reason for control by the British government. The reorganization was announced by the then Viceroy Lord Curzon in July of 1905. The British had divided Bengal by creating and dividing provinces using religion, and so many Bengali Hindus disliked this partition because of the inclusion of non-Bengali-speaking provinces creating West Bengal, but that made North and South Bengal minorities of their own province. In fact, the entire subcontinent disapproved of this action by the British because they prioritized their own ease and comfort over the public's opinion, and as a result, there were many incidences against the British of political violence. However, the partition of Bengal created the idea of nationalism and elitism in the community. Originally, the Muslim community strongly disagreed and resented this action because they believed that it disrupted the sovereignty of Bengal. But when they realized that everything revolves around Calcutta, including education, administration, and professional opportunities, they found that this community in East Bengal had a lot of benefits and many started to side with the partition. 
This is how Bengal became a precursor to the aspiration and idea of Pakistan. It created the desire for Muslims to have their own independent state. Now, the partition of Bengal only lasted six years because the British couldn't deal with the numerous public disturbances and violent protests against this action throughout those six years, and they ended up reunifying Bengal. However, the Muslims were disappointed because they appreciated the separation of province because of the local politics and ended up demanding an independent Muslim state. After that, Muslims decided to be more involved in politics so that they could have a hand in British Indian politics and ended up having a larger political participation. Now from this story, it's important to note that the British used religion as a way of dividing people in India into two different categories. And so they would literally have seats for Muslim politicians and Hindu politicians and religion became a factor into politics. The second thing to take away from this is that this planted the idea and aspiration for Muslims to have their own designated location in India strictly divided by religion. Now, it's also important to note that the polarization of Hindus and Muslims occurred in only the recent couple of decades in the 20th century. 19th century India was a place of traditions, languages, cultures, and all of that cut through religion as no one was defined through their religious faith. There was no past bad blood between Hindus and Muslims, and they actually shared religious traditions out of respect. Originally and historically, people weren't identified with religious identity, but rather linguistic and ethnic affiliation. In fact, there were Indo-Islamic historical civilizations by new hybrid languages like Dakani and Urdu, which was a mix of Sanskrit, Turkish, Persian, and Arabic. However, during the British Raj, there was a gradual erosion of shared traditions because the British defined communities based on religious identities, and that had political representation and a direct effect on their rights. Now between this time, there was a sort of lead up into the state of violence and separation between the communities in India. However, the conflicts that eventually led up to the partition came as a result of a clash between politicians and the built-up resentment from the abuse by the British government. Although the British factor really just pushed for independence, it was the politicians that created the concept of the partition. Now, the main politicians in this story that made the partition happen were Mohandas Gandhi and Jawaharlal Nehru, who were leaders in the Congress party, along with Muhammad Ali Jinnah of the Muslim League. All three of them were lawyers that received some part of their education in England. Jinnah is greatly responsible for the creation of Pakistan and is often referred to as the father of the nation. He had an overall cold, tough, and determined personality and was a strong negotiator. He was not that religious and even married a non-Muslim. Jinnah and Gandhi were both Gujarati, which would have regarded for something before the British, but they had a very poisonous relationship to the point of where they couldn't even sit in the same room together. Jinnah resented the mix of religion and politics and said that it was a crime to mix politics and religion like Gandhi did and was disgusted by how he brought spirituality into political discussions. Jinnah believed it emboldened religious chauvinists in every religion and thought it deeply twisted what religion truly was. At the start of his political career, Jinnah tried to bring together the Muslim League and the Congress Party and was known as the ambassador of Hindu and Muslim unity as he believed 
belonged to both parties in 1916. But between the 1920s and the 1930s, a mutual dislike between Gandhi and Jinnah had grown. Now, in the Indian Act of 1919, only 3% of the population could vote, and in the Indian Act of 35, only 14% of the population could vote. The best election rates for the Muslim League were in 1937, and this was when they started to investigate Muslim lives living under Congress Party-governed provinces, and this created a fear for independent India under the Congress Party because of the unfair treatment that they witnessed for Muslims living in these provinces. And so, in 1940, Jinnah publicly abandoned the unified India idea and steered the Muslim League to demand a separate homeland for Muslims because of his strict stance on freedom of religious expression and the concern of religious freedom under the Congress party. Muslims, Sikhs, and other religions all had separate electorates for elections. The British treated India poorly up until 1939, when World War II was declared, and the Viceroy forced India to join their army without consulting anyone, including the Indian leaders. Many opposed it, and the Congress party protested and resigned. And so in 1940, there was a meeting by the Muslim League, famously known as the Lahore Session, where the Muslim League demanded partition in the Northwest India area, and they were referring to Punjab. The Lahore Resolution was a result of the infamous Lahore Session, where the Muslim League finalized on fighting for Northwest and East India areas to become sovereign, independent, and autonomous. The Indian National Congress rejected the Lahore Resolution because they wanted to represent all Indians of all cultures and religions. Now, the Unionist Party was a political party that represented the interests of landowners of Punjab and their rural and agricultural interests, most of them being Muslim, Hindu, and Sikhs. The Unionist Party and Sikhs strongly rejected this idea of a partition, and as a result, Sir Sikandar Hayat Khan, a politician of the Unionist Party, created links with Sikhs. Khan strongly opposed Jinnah's stance because it was a direct assault on the land of Punjab. They created the Sikandar Baldev Singh Pact in March of 1942, which included Jatkamit in government institutions, Gurmukhi as a second language in schools, and a guarantee of 20% Sikh representation in the executive council. However, everything changed when Khan unexpectedly died in 1942, and as a result, the Unionists and Sikhs did not stay in alliance after. Now, the Shromani Akali Dal is a political party that was created in the interest of Sikhs and is the second oldest political party in India. And so, the Akali Dal created another proposal for Punjab called Azad Punjab, and Master Thara Singh believed that it would oppose the partition. Master Thara Singh was a prominent Sikh activist and politician who strongly opposed the partition, but was overall an important person in Sikh history. Azad Punjab was a plan made by Thara Singh that would make it so that no single community made up a majority in the proposed setup. It was directly against the concept of partition, and it emphasized that Sikhs were a nation, and that this was needed for the protection of the Sikh community. It was meant to strengthen Sikh influence and representation in politics at the time. And so, to summarize, Azad Punjab was important to Sikhs and Punjabi people, as it protected them from the partition of their state and their people. 
but it ended up dissolving due to it not being well argued and effectively thought through. Now, up until now, the partition still could have been avoided, but from here on out, it began being painted as the only solution. Now, around this time, the American government pressured Britain to relieve power in India, and so the British offered to give India status as a British-owned dominion that can semi-run itself with British oversight. However, this offer was quickly rejected by the Congress party. As a result, the British created the Crips mission and sent them into India in 1942 in an attempt to gain cooperation from India in the war and, in return, promised better negotiation to transfer power back to India. The Crips mission failed and led to the Quit India movement launched by the Congress party, which wanted full independence of India. However, that morning that the movement was launched, the Congress leaders were arrested. Now, during the 1942 campaign of civil disobedience, Gandhi and Nehru were arrested and a series of violent riots occurred all across India. Gandhi and Nehru started to publicly shame and overthrow Jinnah's credibility, saying things like he was a maniac and he lacked a civilized mind and that he was an evil genius. This became a turning point in how the community behaved amongst themselves in India, and violence on the streets escalated, with people forced out of their own neighborhoods and into polarizing ghettos. The Muslim League, however, ended up supporting the British during this time, and because of that, the next time the Viceroy met with the political leaders of that time, Jinnah and the Muslim League had the same status and importance in his eyes as Gandhi and Nehru. Now fast forward to 1945 when the Labour Party came into power in Britain and Clement Attlee became the new Prime Minister. Now Attlee gave the issue of India's independence the highest priority when he became Prime Minister and actually supported this idea for many years prior. And so in response, he sent in the cabinet mission to India to discuss the transfer of power in 1946. And they also proposed different ways that provinces and regions could have power and share it amongst themselves. The Cabinet Act proposed these three regions to decide how to share power amongst each other. The first one being the Northwest Provinces of Punjab, the Northwest Frontier Province, Sindh, and Balochistan. The second being Madras, Uttar Pradesh, Bombay, Bihar, Orissa, and the central provinces. And the third region being Assam and Bengal. Now let me just go over some terminology and background political structures of the time to help some things make sense. Provincial legislators were elected in provincial elections in British India in January of 1946, and they became elected members of the Legislative Council. They made and elected the Constituent Assembly, which was a sovereign body meant to replace the British government after they had left, and they also helped draft and revise the constitution, along with the help of the Indian National Congress Party. However, the Constituent Assembly ended up serving as India's first parliament, which was also called the Provincial Parliament of India. Now fast forward to August 16th, 1946, when Jinnah declared direct action as it means to show the force, strength, and unity of the Muslim community for a separate nation. Direct action day was when Jinnah stated that we either divide India or destroy it. And this was because the Muslim League was concerned that the Congress party only represented Hindus, even though they said that they would represent and stand for all Indian citizens. The Muslim League had also pulled out of the cabinet mission for the same reason, being that there were no proper safeguards for the rights of Muslim minorities in the assembly. 
Direct Action Day riots and violence occurred in cities from Kolkata to Bombay, with the death toll ranging between 5,000 to 10,000 people, with 15,000 wounded and 100,000 homeless. Six British battalions were deployed in Kolkata with one week to restore order, but by then the violence had already spread to Bombay, Punjab, and Delhi. Speeches done by Muslim League politicians like the Chief Minister of Bengal stating things like bloodshed and disorder are not evil if resorted for a noble cause contributed to provoking deadly riots and widespread religious massacre. And so as a result, these riots were because of a complete mistrust in the communities. Now, with the Quit India movement, the widespread riots and violence, and a catastrophic famine in Bengal causing millions to die, the British realized that India was no longer in their control. They didn't have the resources to help or support them, and they couldn't necessarily maintain status as a colonial ruler or, quite frankly, afford it. And so they had to make the decision of letting go of their greatest asset. However, their process proceeded to be hasty, clumsy, and messy. And so at this point, and at the threat of being caught in between a potential civil war, the British sped up their exit strategy, and with lots of internal pressure, on February 20th of 1947, Prime Minister Clement Attlee gave a speech saying that British rule will end on a date no later than June of 1948. If Nehru and Jinnah had revived their friendship by then, power would be distributed in some form of central government of British India. However, if not, they would discuss a new way to distribute power in the best interest of the people. Gandhi and Nehru first disliked the partition, but saw it as the only way to get rid of Jinnah. They came back to the cabinet mission proposal, and the partition scheme ended up being very similar to the final boundaries, except Bengal and Punjab, because they barely had a Muslim majority, and they ended up making a line down the middle. Nehru and Vallabhai Patel accepted this proposition by the British government on behalf of the Congress party. Talks about the partition made people nervous and once again caused violent riots. Communities that coexisted amongst each other for almost a millennium started turning on each other in violent eruptions. And so on March of 1947, King George VI sent in his cousin, Lord Louis Mountbatten, to Delhi as the final British viceroy. Given a year, his mission was to relieve the British hand in power in British India as quickly as possible. He met with the political leaders and also said that Jinnah was a psychopath and realized that partition was the only option after several meetings. And so on June 4th, Mountbatten announced the partition plan with speeches from Jinnah and Nehru on the All India radio. August 15th, 1947 would be the date to transfer power, 10 months early. However, the rush had enhanced the chaos, and Mountbatten was later heavily criticized for this. Now, from this point on, there were kind of back-to-back -back events that happened in Punjab from January of 1947 up until the transfer of power. In the 1946 Punjab election, Muslims had most seats but failed to win a majority and created a coalition government with other political parties, so the Punjab Unionist Party took over. And just in case it's unclear what a coalition government is, it's when political parties work together to create a government. In January and February of 1947, the Muslim League called the coalition for direct action in which they demanded action towards the goal of partitioning. 
However, the coalition fell through on March 2nd of 1947. The rest of the days in Punjab played out like this. On March 3rd of 1947, Sikh and Hindu leaders met in Lahore to vow against Pakistan. On the 4th, Sikh and Hindu students protested on the streets of Lahore, and this caused violence to break out in Lahore and Amritsar. On March 5th of 1947, violence broke out in Multan and Rawalpindi. At this point, the Muslim League couldn't convince the governor that it had control of the Punjab assembly, and so on March 5th of 1947, Punjab was put under governor's rule up until Independence Day on August 15th of 1947. Now, let's talk about Cyril Radcliffe. He was a king's council member and a British judge who had never set foot in India, but was still brought in and given five weeks to divide the country and create new nation borders. He originally wanted to divide with religion, but couldn't because India's different religions were embedded everywhere, but the trickiest still being Punjab and Bengal. And so he and his team of no expertise made a compromise on their part for Punjab and Bengal because of how religiously diverse they were and split both of them into two nations. This was called the Radcliffe Line, also sometimes called the Radcliffe Award. Now at this time, there were two types of provinces the first being British provinces, and the second being princely states. Princely states were more sovereign states that weren't directly under British rule, meaning that they had their own regional leaders and internal anatomy. And so they were a subsidiary alliance, but had great power over their own land. Princely states got to decide what nation they wanted to be a part of. However, these negotiations of leaders and politicians created a living nightmare for hundreds of thousands of families. As the clock struck August 15th of 1947, independence had occurred and no one was aware of what land they were supposed to be on and if they had to leave. As soon as it was confirmed by Mountbatten, British troops withdrew to their barracks. There was so much uncertainty about the borders that they thought Gurdaspur would be given to Pakistan and so they assigned a deputy commissioner and flew the Pakistan flag there for a few days before the border map was released. Mountbatten released the map two days later, and this was to keep international focus on Britain's kindness and graciousness for granting India its independence. No one was happy with Mountbatten and Radcliffe's forced compromise. Now you have to understand what slicing Punjab and Bengal in half and making a country out of it looks like. It was slicing an east and west region of British India, both pieces being separated by thousands of miles of India land in between them, and calling it Pakistan. Lahore was Punjab's old capital and was awarded to Pakistan. Muslims that left Uttar Pradesh and Bihar became Mohajirs, who were refugees in Karachi. Hindus and Sikhs from Sindh ended up in Gujarat and Bombay, or Mumbai today. And three of the local sovereign districts, also called the seals of the Gurdaspur district, east of Ravi, were given to India. Millions of Muslims migrated to the west, which became East Pakistan and now Bangladesh, and millions of Sikhs and Hindus migrated in the opposite direction, which became India. And so there were three main migrations that occurred, Punjab, Bengal and Assam, and Sindh. Bengal and Assam was initially a cross-border movement and was limited to the Muslim migration going eastwards, with more of the majority of Hindus migrating to the west. Sindh was also at a very difficult loss because it had lost its entire state to Pakistan. 
Now imagine losing your entire state, homeland, motherland, and ancestral land right away and having strangers take your property while sending you far away to a place where you are now a refugee. Some people had no identity and were deported back and forth because of how badly the integration of Sindh was developed. Now, I urge you to look at a map to truly understand and visualize where these places are and why they were drastic moves for people at the time. Jinnah had warned that the partition of Punjab and Bengal would be sowing seeds of future serious trouble, and to a certain extent, that was evident in Bengal's history post-partition and Punjab today. The British marched out clean with barely any shots fired and seven dead. However, the real war of the partition was yet to happen. Many ended up finding themselves on the wrong side of the border, and Punjab and Bengal saw around 14 to 15 million people suddenly uprooted, about 7 million being Hindus and Sikhs, and the other 7 million being Muslims. It became the largest recorded forced migration in modern history with a journey of hundreds of miles. People left their valuables and only packed essentials thinking they'll be back home, but for many, that wasn't even an option. Neighbors and relatives who lived in peace the day before violently turned against each other, and it became a mutual, unprecedented genocide. It created a sort of crazed frenzy with people seeking out their next victim. Terror groups chased people out of villages to get more control of their side post-partition. Families were separated and people in trains would have repeated ambushes as they crossed the borders. They were referred to as blood trains going back and forth from Pakistan and India, and towards the end, the trains would be full of dead bodies, seeping with blood. They would contain up to 2,400 unidentifiable bodies with countless more heads, arms, legs, and pieces with blood running through the doors and savagely slaughtered piles of dead bodies being eaten by vultures alongside the tracks. Women were killed, kidnapped, and about 75,000 were raped, leaving many disfigured and dismembered. Women's breasts were cut off and babies were cut out of stomachs, while infants were found roasted on spits. Families with daughters would have them commit suicide or kill them themselves to protect their honor and pride along with the families as a preventative measure to keeping them from being raped. Punjab and Bengal received the most intense and brutal carnage from the partition with massacres, kids hacked to death, looting, villages set aflame, forced conversions, mass abductions, and inhumane sexual violence. The Punjab Boundary Force was a military force of 55,000 people to restore law during the carnage and violence of the partition, but still more than 200,000 people were murdered there. Ex-World War II soldiers used their weapons on behalf of local elites and settled old scores, asserting claims on land and securing their own political and economic power. Hundreds of thousands died of disease in refugee camps, and places like a 35-mile-long road between Amritsar and Lahore were described as an extensive graveyard with corpses scattered everywhere. British soldiers and journalists who had witnessed Nazi death camps claimed that the partition was more brutal, as it was described as one of the most violent acts in history of humankind. 
and it became a defining moment to many families that still affects them today. The migration had ended in 1948, with 15 million people uprooted and 1 to 2 million dead. Now, just a comparison, in 1941, Karachi in Pakistan had 47.6% Hindus and Delhi in India was one-third Muslim. But by the end of the decade, more than 200,000 Muslims had left Delhi and almost all Hindus left Karachi in only a couple months' time. The result being powerful religious majorities on both sides and minorities becoming smaller and more vulnerable on both sides. As a result, Pakistan became more Islamic and India became more Hindu nationalistic. The partition divided the British Indian Army, Royal Indian Navy, Indian Civil Service, Railways, and Central Treasury. Weeks leading up to the independence, Britain had relieved responsibility to maintain law and order to the Indian Army, which was a mix of officer forces and other recruits from all ranks all across the subcontinent. Army Indian soldiers were worried because they had received no word from home and their families, especially those in Punjab, and so they were constantly anxious. The Indian army was divided, with 260,000, mainly Hindu and Sikhs, going to India, and 140,000 Muslims going to Pakistan. Hindu and Sikh squadrons faced the problem of getting murdered, but their brotherhood, loyalty, and unity came into play as the Muslim Punjabi squadron protected the other two squadrons and smuggled them one by one into the night. Punjabi soldiers would question British Indian army soldiers, saying things like, we fought for you in the war, why don't you fight for us, or just do something. Some agricultural factors of the time were the Bayas floods in August of 1947, where 40,000 Muslims were wiped out in one night due to the floods, along with the Muslim convoys. Impacts of the partition on the rivers were not addressed until 13 years later. Since 1947, India and Pakistan have had a deep, mutual hate and resentment for each other. Since Kashmir was a princely state and at the time of partition, the Kashmir Maharaja or king was reluctant to join India or Pakistan, there have been three full-out wars occurring post-partition where both India and Pakistan have invaded it and tried to annex it for their own countries. Now, Bengal became East Pakistan, but it had received less funding and had very little political power compared to West Pakistan. And so in 1971, after an eight-month war, East Pakistan won its independence, becoming independent and democratic Bangladesh. In that war, Pakistan launched a military operation to subdue the population and 300,000 civilians were killed. However, Bengal authorities claimed that the death toll was 10 times higher. Since 1947, both countries have become more and more dangerous, with their nuclear arsenal and militant groups growing, and both countries have become more vulnerable than ever to religious extremism. Some say that 1947 has yet to come to an end. Thank you. 
Now, if this episode taught you something that you didn't know before, definitely share it and spread the beautiful gift of knowledge. For my resources and references, check out the link tree in the episode notes or in the Lost Connection Instagram bio. And if you didn't get to catch the last few episodes, definitely check them out. There's a lot of good information in there. And lastly, to learn more and never miss out on an episode of Lost Connection, subscribe to Lost Connection on Spotify, and I hope to see you in the next episode.